0: The Roger Snipes Show. Today, it's so hard to get in your daily recommended nutrients. Either we are supposed to eat a ton of fruit, veg, legumes, fish, nuts, organs, seeds. It makes me question if anyone is able to achieve this. Depending on your body's requirements and stress levels, we have different needs. Depending on our microbiome environment we live in and genetics too. Then we need to factor in digestive enzymes, herbs and antioxidants, not forgetting probiotics. It's a mission. We have a laundry list of multivitamins and most of them don't even work because they're not bioavailable. So what can we do? Get AG1 by Athletic Greens. It's a comprehensive and convenient drink with 75 vitamins and minerals from whole food sourced ingredients some of these include vitamin a c e b6 b12 biotin zinc manganese sodium chromium potassium selenium inulin prebiotic folate organic alfalfa pineapple fruit extract chlorella cacao bean polyphenol extract reishi shiitake adaptogens lactobacillus so many ingredients it's unreal what makes it better is that it tastes smooth light and not overpowering as it can do with those that have sweeteners in it get a year's supply of vitamin d3 and k2 and five travel packs for free with your first purchase visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rogersnipes We all want to increase our mental agility and cognitive performance, even if we are already high performers. Caffeine alone can only take you so far, and too much stimulants can leave you feeling jittery and anxious. What if you could customize the way you want to feel, like, Boost your mood and well-being whilst reducing your anxiety and stress, or feel upbeat and happy whilst having empathy and creativity. Not everyone wants the same mental uplifts, so Nootopia personalizes the stacks for you. The ingredients have been engineered to work synergistic and amplify the nutrient delivery as opposed to throwing lots of cool stimulants together and hoping for the best. The nootropic range even stack well together, like the Nectarex and brain flow, you'll notice a rapid increase in focus clarity, and ability to process information, recall, and overall brain activity. Some stacks will help you build new brain cells as you flow or increase motivation if you feel low. Don't just reach for caffeine. Reach for a customized stack from Newtopia. Visit newtopia.com forward slash snipes and use code snipes10 for 10% off. That website link again is Newtopia, spelt N-O-O. T-O-P-I-A dot com forward slash Snipes and use code Snipes10 for 10% off. Yo, welcome back to the Roger Snipes show, everybody. How's it going? How's it going? So first of all, deepest apologies for the absence. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I wanted to deload from my work and take a little time out. And looking at the dates, it's worked out that I've taken about three months off. I didn't realize it was so long, to be honest with you. So apologies about that. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> I only felt it was right to come back and provide some value once again. Um, yeah, so once I've been away, um, or during the time I've been away, I've been, yeah, reading a lot, um, experiencing new stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been doing like a little bit of um, supporting artist work. So in the field of acting, um, I had a friend who introduced me to a couple of productions. So I've been um, working as a supporting artist in, in a few things, a couple of TV programs, movies. Um, it's It's been quite fun. And there's some really cool projects coming up. And yeah. Um, during this time as well, I've been looking at potentially improving my craft so I can look at more featured roles or leading roles in in acting, you know. Um, you can only try. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be doing like some acting for screen courses. And also there's some um, stunt type of courses as well. So I'm going to be doing that in in my spare time. And just kind of gaining a new new discipline, really, you know. Um, So it's looking really cool. It's been quite fun. Um, My health is good. Training has been great as well. Um, I found some new challenges and new disciplines along the way. One of the challenges which I have had was an injury. I never really spoke about it on social media because I didn't really want to... Um, you know, if if I have any setbacks, I'm not trying to focus on a setback. I'm just, I'm trying to focus on what my goal is. But I'll share it here anyway. On the On April the 4th, I really pushed my leg training and squatted, I think, 280 kilos for about three reps. I didn't do a full ass to grass, but it was still quite low. Uh, some of the people <laughs> who commented on my post were like, oh, that's not a squat. I uh, not, not one squat was made in this video. You know, obviously you're gonna have those kind of people. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think after that point, progressively I started to achieve some pain in my knees and well yeah I couldn't really train legs properly for about two months if you're training legs for most days what I'd like what I'd like to do is pretty much a full body workout on any time I go to the gym Um, like a push pull legs or just full body to be honest with you trying to keep all the compound exercises in there all the functional type of move um, yeah moves in there and, um, yeah, so legs very frequently. So not even training it once a week was very, very painful for me, <laughs> not just the pain in the knees itself. Um, yeah, so it's been difficult, um, and I just needed to allow it time to heal. And, uh, this morning, funny enough, I woke up and felt pretty great, um, And so I'm going to start a program to build my legs back up. I mean, I wouldn't say I lost crazy size in it or anything, but um, yeah, definitely just want to train it. Not even, I don't even want to get my legs too big. I like that real classic look where the upper body just looks a little bit bigger and the legs look decent enough. I'm not trying to walk around like John Wayne or anything (laughs) if I wear a pair of shorts legs look decent okay cool that's that's it that's it for me Um, yeah I think if I squat about five plates then that's kind of good enough for me I'm 43 I don't have anything to prove (laughs) Um, another thing I've been working on is martial arts so Muay Thai and um, I've done a single session of BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I need a, bit, a little bit more time before I fully engage in that again. That's the, the BJJ. You know, with all the hugging or the grappling, as they call it. And, you know, I don't know, like a guy's face touching mine with his sweat, like mixing in mine. It's, it, there's a lot of psychological stuff required there. And I just need a bit of time um but understanding the grappling it's really interesting what those guys do it's amazing it's a real real skill set so yeah hats off kudos as they say uh but right now i'm going to focus on muay thai and boxing um there's uh, a lot of similarities between the boxing style and uh in muay thai and boxing itself apart from the the stance or the um Yeah, the stance, foot stance. Obviously, with boxing, you don't use your feet, but, like, you still need to position your feet somewhere. Um, And uh, the guard. Yeah, I think the guard with Muay Thai, it's like the elbows are up a little bit higher um, for different reasons, but it's just, it's really fascinating. And I found that every time I go to... Um, a session, a Muay Thai or boxing session, within the first five minutes, I'm dripping with sweat. (laughs) We're not fully dripping, but there is visible signs of perspiration. Whereas with training, resistance training, I can train for a full hour and get a little bit of sweat on, but not crazy visible. It's almost question, like you see the pump, that's for sure, but it's questionable as to how intense the training was because you don't really see the sweat. Um, So that's one thing I really love about Muay Thai and boxing Um, Yeah, you get a good sweat on (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, today um, Yes, I have a great guest on I had a great opportunity to speak to Well, one of the world's greatest accomplished humans Ben Greenfield I mean it's not just his physical accomplishments which makes him extraordinary like his competitive background in condulate tennis water polo volleyball bodybuilding his 13 time ironman triathlon um marathons tough mudder spartan races probably just touching the surface and it's and it isn't the fact he's a New York Times best-selling author of 17 books, um, well, at least by the recording of this podcast. But whilst he is ticking the boxes of being in physical peak condition with a healthy biological age, I'm sure <laughs> a bank balance uh, adjacent to his knowledge as well. He has a combined approach to living using modern science with ancestral wisdom. He is also a very open family man with his relationship with his wife and his twin teenage boys who are homeschooled. Ben is an advisor, uh, an investor and board member of multiple corporations in the health and fitness industry. But one thing I find pretty interesting is he is also a follower of the Christian faith. And one thing which I found deeply intriguing about this interview is that he is open and honest with his beliefs, sharing his intimate details on religion and spirituality and why there is a difference. So lots of people think... You know, if you're spiritual, you have a, a a deep connection with the divine, whereas religion tends to be more structured towards um, a certain type of connection to the divine, and it has to be on this specific path. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot of cross across networking pathways there, but there's also some some differences or segregations and you know differences in opinion and we do we do cross or, or we do cover quite a few different things there and it's really interesting we learn about his ethos on what his ultimate lifelong goals are um yeah He is a sponge for knowledge and it's not surprising considering the amount of books and podcasts he consumes. Ben Greenfield is a coach, an author, a speaker, an ex-bodybuilder, an Ironman triathlete, and the co-founder of a functional food company called Keon. He is the host of Ben Greenfield podcast. Let's bring on Ben Greenfield. Mm -hmm.
1: it's it's always difficult to start a podcast when technically you're interviewing me but i brought the equipment so so i don't i don't know who gets first dibs on the introduction roger but i must say for anybody who is listening in uh we're walking through a park right now in london with a portable microphone so if you hear you know a bird get run over by a tractor that's why so anyways i'll shut up now or some traffic
0: that's for sure but look, um, it's a great pleasure to meet you in person. I was actually thinking that it was going to be via Zoom. Um, huh. But to see you in person is great, man. Oh, it's How so much—it's so
1: much better. We get—we get to absorb each other's electromagnetic frequencies, oh, and, yeah. and uh, it's always a different conversation when you're face to face, or at least walking side by side, than Zoom. I'm six foot two inches. Six two. Yeah, right. six foot two, and I, I weigh about uh, one seventy-five. But I got to tell you, and I'm only going to tell you this because I know you're, you know, you have a history of bodybuilding, at least a little bit, a little tiny just bit. Just a tiny. Just a when tiny. I was in college, I was six foot two and I was bodybuilding and I was 215. Really? So, so I was 40 pounds heavier than I am right now.
0: So your, your training has obviously changed since then, what's, what's your sort of training regimen at the moment?
1: Oh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's very simple actually. I. I'm at the stage of my life where I'm trying to prioritize a lot of time with my sons. They're 14 years old, so they're kind of in those formative years when I think they, they really need a father around, leading them through a lot of things. And so, I've, so I've kind of steered the direction of my workouts to be inclusive of a couple of teenage boys taking along with me. So it's pretty much like four things the foundation of my training. Kettlebells, sauna, ice, and breath work. Okay, so kettlebell sauna, ice, and breath work. So I've taken the Russian kettlebell certification and the strong first certification. You know, do a lot of kettlebell snatches, kettlebell cleans, kettlebell swings, kettlebell deadlifts, goblet squats, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in the sauna four to five times a week in a deep sweat for 30 to 40 minutes. I uh, I'm in the cold plunge every day, typically after the sauna, sometimes a couple times a day, two to four minute cold plunges, and then uh, typically anywhere from From a 15 minute breath work session three times a week, all the way up to five times a week, with an occasional, like, long, like, 60 to 90 minute, more like holotropic type of breath work session, in Mm -hmm. which interestingly covers a lot of your bases from a cardiovascular standpoint as well. And then I walk a ton. You know, I, (laughs) I, when I travel, I probably walk 20 to 30,000 steps a day. When I'm at home, it's closer to like, 12 to 20,000 steps so a lot of walking when i'm talking on the phone when i'm having chats with guys like you and so uh the only the only thing kind of missing from what i just presented to you in terms of kettlebells ice heat and breath work is that as a guy who's known to be like a biohacker people send me a lot of like biohacking equipment like blood flow restriction bands and a vasper machine and these like like the arx single set the failure machine Mm. and i sprinkle that stuff in uh, You know, kind of like for fun throughout the week, I'll throw in a few sessions here and there, but typically I'm doing something hard for a half hour a day and then everything else is just low level physical activity spread throughout the entire day. So my kettlebell workouts are a half hour, my saunas are a half hour, my my breathwork sessions range. You know, if I'm using these biohacking modalities, typically a half hour, I find that that's just kind of like the sweet spot for me which is great compared to the three hours a day in the gym when I was bodybuilding. <laughs> See, you know, split body split training.
0: Oh, man, the precision in training. Sometimes it just takes too much time. As you yeah. know, when I sent you the message, I was in the gym for a bit, trying to trying to get it all in, and then I went back a bit later to do some Muay Thai. Um, and I'll tell you what, the Muay Thai, that was so much more conditioning work. Oh, yeah. I was exhausted.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I... I I roll with my sons every once in a while, and I used to do a lot of striking, and yeah, those those rounds where you know you got like, a, you know, sometimes you know the coach would have us do like two-minute rounds, and thirty seconds off, and ten rounds of that, and you're just smoked by the end. You know, jujitsu sometimes longer, four or five minutes. So, yeah, it's it's great, great conditioning, absolutely. You so know, when I, when I was a bodybuilder though, I I did almost all, you know, I joked about body split training, I didn't do a lot of that, you know, because right. I was a lean gainer, I was, mm. you know, skinny hard gainer. And so um, for me, I found a lot of success with about four times a week, full body, full body, like heavy, so it, you know, squats, cleans, yeah. deadlifts, push press, and then on the weekends, I'd do a little bit of vanity work, you know, like biceps, calves <laughs> and things like that. But, but that worked really well for me and actually kind of cut down the amount of time I had to spend in the gym.
0: Mm. What's your current body fat? Cause you're looking super shredded in your pictures.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, oh, so, since i was 14 years old it's always been four to eight percent i eat like a horse i can eat like 4,000 calories a day you know my my metabolism is screaming high my parents are lean all my siblings are lean my wife is even leaner than me like a lean skinny montana rancher kind of girl so yeah there's just despite us loving our butter and lard and ghee and fatty ribeye steaks and salmon skin and everything else at the house like we uh we greenfields don't seem to be able to pack on weight very well. So, to talking about that with all the meat and stuff, do you have a farm at home,
0: or because I know yeah. you do some um, some hunting as well? So, what's what's your whole uh, protocol there yeah. when it comes to meat?
1: Yeah. So, my my diet is largely kind of like a nose to tail carnivorous type of diet. I do a lot of bone broth, bone marrow, uh, steaks, rumps, roast, chops, liver, heart kidney a lot of the organ meats uh, and then I dress that up with from a very ancestral standpoint for carbohydrates a lot of cellular living carbohydrates versus acellular processed carbohydrates mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is purple potato taro sweet potato yam parsnip beet carrot underground root vegetables things like that right for the for the primary carbohydrate source and then uh, the other things that I kind of throw in there is a little bit of raw honey some dark, dark berries, like low glycemic index berries. Um, mm-hmm. I do a little bit, you know, people ask, well, what about the fiber when you're eating all the meat? And I get a lot of, a lot of fiber from, from foods that fill me up that are very satiating but are low in calories. So I do a lot of like the Japanese yam noodles. I'll do a lot of the pumpkin mash, mm-hmm. sea moss gel, chia seed slurries. And the nice part about eating a lot of these foods, you know, even bone broth, of course, with, like the gelatinous bone broth, a lot of these foods. That are higher in gelatin, or, or thick, or clumpy, or in a gel-like format, they're actually um, they're better able to hydrate the body and carry water through the body. Because you know, if you look at Dr. Gerald Pollack's research at mm-hmm. University of Washington on on the fourth phase of water and water able to be in like this gel-like structure, which actually is in our cells, uh, if you if you're getting a lot of your hydration from these these water-rich foods that are carrying water and kind of nourishing the gut, I find that to be very satiating, and that's. That's kind of how I get my fiber. And so gotcha. um the, so that's that's generally my diet. The only thing I throw in is uh um you know from a product standpoint, there's one company in the US called Tom Callens Vegetable Powders. And so he he basically takes like organic heirloom vegetables and powders them, and you know, you got like turmeric extract and broccoli and, and high protein leaf powder and, and root powder. All these wonderful powders so i'll sprinkle that a lot of times in the same way one might salt their food <laughs> and then i also right. use for oils uh the only seed or plant-based oils that i touch are aside from extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil uh, from a company called andrea seed oils and for those these are like very very high quality cold pressed never been exposed to oxidity or rancidity or temperature or pressure but they're like chia seed flax seed, sunflower seed but these aren't like Rancid bastardized plant oils. They're super duper high quality and a lot of times. I'm drizzling stuff like that over the meat And then most of the meat is either stuff. I bow hunt Um, We've got goats and chickens at home. So we do a lot of goat milk goat yogurt uh, Eggs (laughs) things like that and then uh, I do a lot of ordering from us wellness meats That's one company in the u.s. That ships out a lot of these you know non-standard cuts and strange cuts of meat and you know free shipping if you if you do a big enough order so i just keep my freezer stocked with that mm-hmm. the meat that i've hunted and then there's another company i don't know what it's like in the uk if they have these companies they'll ship food to you uh like not boxes. quite the same okay but there's another one called Topia, and they ship like sashimi grade fish to my house each month so that's where i get a lot of the seafood like Kampachi and salmon collars and you know really nice tr- cuts of trout and scallops and the like so so yeah it's pretty 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 varied but you know I'd say 80% of it is kind of like meat and seafood awesome how do you make your decisions like with your variety of food is it
0: through um, I don't know different sorts of tests have you done like yeah. a microbiome test to check yeah okay these are the sort of foods I should be eating sure
1: yeah I, I think that you know and, and this is why I've never really written a diet book because there is no one perfect diet for all of humankind right it's gonna mm-hmm. widely vary based on your your individual biochemistry everything from the size of your stomach or your spleen or your pancreas or your liver to your vitamin D excretion rates or your uric acid excretion rates or your needs from an activity level or your genetic predisposition. You know, maybe you have mm-hmm. familial hypercholesterolemia and poor gallbladder and liver function. So the ketogenic diet might not be the best you know, choice for you based on just a couple simple parameters like that. And so from a testing standpoint, what I do and what I have a lot of the, like the clients. I might work with doing nutrition plans for. I do a uh, I do a stool test. It's like a three-day stool test uh, by Doctor's Data, and that one allows me to look at parasites, yeast, fungus, bacterial markers, microbial imbalances, things like that. And then I do a like a basic blood panel. You know, your comprehensive metabolic panel and, and your uh, your lipid count, thyroid. Um, you know, just all the. All the basic parameters you get from a blood Mm -hmm. and then I do a more micronutrient and toxin-based blood test called the NutriVal and that one looks at a lot of smaller fungal markers amino acids fatty acid balances omega indexes etc and then uh, for food allergy a really really good gold standard panel that doesn't result in a lot of false positives called a Cyrex so I'll do a Cyrex panel for food allergies and then uh, for the hormones urine is best because it gives you a really good like running 24-hour view of the hormones rather than blood, which will give you a one-time snapshot. Yeah. So the best test for that is called the Dutch, the dried urine test, and that'll also give you some information about neurotransmitter balances, melatonin, you know, upstream and downstream cortisol metabolites, what's testosterone getting converted into, what do the estrogen pathways look like, etc. And then uh, the the last one would be just like a salivary genetic analysis to see. Not only what what you might be prime tea from an ancestral standpoint, because there is something to that, you know, like what your mm. ancestors ate is something that you might be more accustomed to to be able to tolerate and the other thing you find out from these genetic tests you know let's say like the the dirty genes test by dr ben lynch called strategy it's yeah. a fantastic example you can find out what do your nitric oxide pathways look like what are your sulfur uh sulfur metabolism pathways look like what are your, your your histamine tolerance or intolerance pathways look like so you can kind of see if there's certain things that you might want to do from a genetic standpoint to clean things up or, or add in that's awesome i mean that's a lot so, how would that work with your
0: family? You know, not every, yeah. <laughs> you've all got slightly different microbiomes, or maybe yeah. it's quite similar because you eat the same. How- yeah,
1: exactly. There is something to your local uh, environment influencing your biome characteristics, the people that you're around, you share bacteria with them, uh, how long you've lived in a certain area, and the type of food you've grown accustomed to in that area. So, if you look at, at my family, Um, We we eat somewhat similarly. Probably a few differences would be when carbohydrates come out to the table. I'm very low carb. I have a little bit more sensitivity when it comes to blood glucose fluctuations and I'm always highly cognizant of that. So my family will do a lot more of the, like the rice or the sourdough bread or the sweet potato or something like that. I'm usually kind of low on that. I'm usually heavier on the meat. A lot of times my wife will make a lovely salad, but I don't do a lot of raw vegetables. So I might have a very tiny, tiny bit of the salad, but then I'll have extra meat. But every night at our house, you know, there's options for veg, there's options for starch, there's options for meat. And really it's more of like macronutrient considerations Mm -hmm. because all the food is super healthy. And occasionally there's something like, I mentioned the Cyrex food allergy test. Like one of the few foods I truly have an intolerance to from an autoimmune standpoint is green beans, right? So maybe, Mm you know there will be a dish with green beans but I'll pick around the green beans you know and so so it's it's pretty simple you know and, and I, I could see there being a more problematic scenario where perhaps someone who can't tolerate fats at all is married to someone with Alzheimer's and dementia who needs to be very very careful because that's almost like a diabetes type 3 type of disease it's very responsive to sugars mm-hmm. and so in a scenario like that you know you have someone who's who might be a uh, ketogenically appropriate person living with somebody who might need you know, a few more carbohydrates. And so it's, you know, it, can, it can really vary quite a bit, but at our house, it, it seems to work out pretty well.
0: That's awesome. What about your boys when they were a lot younger? Because you have a lot of people who have children and they struggle to give them a healthy diet because yeah. they, all they want is sugar. How did yeah. you get around that?
1: Well, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's actually a couple of research studies that have came out in the past couple of years, about uh, food likes and dislikes later on in age or in adolescence being highly correlated to the type of foods a child is exposed to early on. So, you know, for mm-hmm. example, if you take a child and you accustom their palate to sweet cereals and sugar-infused baby foods, or even artificially sweetened foods, or you know, you could even apply this to technology. You know, heavy exposure to screens, etc. Oh, yeah. th- those children grow up being. Uh, a little bit more inclined to have a preference towards those type of foods, whereas if you 're introducing your child at a very early age to foods with complex flavors, umami flavors, bitter flavors mm-hmm. you 're giving them things like like cabbage and sauerkraut and sardines and avocados and, and little bits of liver and you know things that that really accustom their palate early on, uh, the child winds up growing up a little bit more inclined to eat those type of foods and that 's exactly what we did with our sons at an early age we would go buy organic vegetables and organic fruits and, and blend them all up and then flash freeze them to have these little purees, and then we'd add things like olive oil and avocado oil and you know mash up salmon and, and puree liver and, and do all these things that basically set up a scenario to where our sons were basically eating a lot of the same foods that we ate, just sometimes pureed, mashed, steamed, boiled, etc. And then as soon as a child is able to chew effectively, and this is based on a lot of the research by, uh, by Dr. Mew, for example, even Weston A. Price's research on this kind of kind of alludes to the fact that a child should be chewing and exercising the jaw. And so mm. that'll directly influence you know, the, the shape of the teeth and the mouth, the dental health later on in life. And so as soon as a kid is able to start chewing the food, you want them to chew straight away because we actually have a society where sleep apnea is a big issue. Teeth crowding is a big issue. Poor dental alignment is a big issue, and part of that is the high, high amounts of soft, soft foods that a child grows up with, ultra-processed foods that are easy to chew yeah. and easy to get through the through the jaw, and then when you pair that with a relative lack of a lot of these natural fat-soluble vitamins, you know, we live in kind of a fat-phobic era still, you know, so <laughs> the kids aren't getting a lot of vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, the things that help with bony structure and teeth formation, mm. and so those two factors together are not doing kids or adults any favors from like a, a stature jaw alignment uh, you know sleep quality type of standpoint so you know so even when we go out to restaurants right from a from a very, very early age. You know, you look at the kids' menu at restaurants, and what is it? It's, Garbage. you know, it's, it's chicken nuggets and, <laughs> and you know, or, or like white chicken skewers, or like hamburgers and french fries, or the macaroni and cheese, you know, mm-hmm. highly processed, heavily palatable foods that children theoretically, based on the restaurant's ideas, would and, and should enjoy. And uh, with, with our kids, and this hasn't been great for my pocketbook because obviously my kids now order like the expensive entrees off the restaurant <laughs> menu. But but we, we, we usually send the kids menus back. We just let the kids eat off of our plates early on and then they order their own meals off the adult menu at the restaurant just because the kids menu is just total, total crap. It's hard to find something healthy on that. So we, you know, mm. in a nutshell, kind of treat the kids like miniature adults when it comes to food selection, you know, of, of course, under the premise that the adults are actually eating good, Healthy quality food with a wide variety of tastes and flavors. No, oh, that's the
0: cool. textures. What's your approach in reducing inflammation in the body? Uh, is it like rem- remaining homeostasis or more hormetic stress? I'm sure there's yeah. loads of different.
1: Well, I mean, ways. you know, as you know, you don't want to reduce inflammation. I mean, it doesn't mean in the bodybuilding industry, arachidonic acid is one thing they'll consume post-workout to amp up inflammation, increase hypertrophy, you know, satellite cell proliferation mitochondrial density, that all responds to a somewhat inflamed scenario. It's like Absolutely. send your send your body to World War II and back, and if it doesn't die, it comes back stronger. <laughs> uh, but of course, chronic low-level inflammation, such as we would experience with a prop, or an improper diet or heavy, heavy exposure to dirty electricity and EMF, or not enough time spent in sunlight or earthing or grounding, or a diet that's very low in flavanols and polyphenols and antioxidants uh, paired with a lot of you know heavy training, which is of course inflammatory, and just general stress, which is inflammatory, dictates that for the average person, you're going to want to be doing something, as you just alluded to, mm-hmm. to manage the chronic inflammation. Um, there, there's a lot of, of ways to do it. I think that uh, that cold thermogenesis, you know, which I briefly mentioned earlier, yeah. I think that a regular the in- cold thermogenesis practice is fantastic for inflammation. In a post-workout scenario, you got to wait a little while for like the intense cold because it can shut down some of those adaptive responses that you want to exercise. And so, you know, if you're doing a hard training session in the morning, for example, you might save your like a longer ice bath or something like that for later on in the day. Although a quick cold shower, a quick cold plunge should just decrease the body's core temperature. You know, so you're not, you know, you know sweating at work or whatever. is fine. Um, mm-hmm. another, another one would be a lot of these dark purples, dark oranges. You know yellows, um, uh, blues, um, even some of the reds and purples. Basically, eating a diet that's very much like the rainbow gives you gives you a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds in the diet. With uh, you know turmeric probably and, and curcumin probably being two of the two of the better ones that are out there, in my opinion. Some people think they're they're damaging to the gut or they can affect testosterone, but you have to have a pretty high amount for something like that to happen in a very concentrated form. Mm. Um, the uh, the other things would be and just just the basics, you know. Adequate sleep uh, sunlight exposure. I'm a big fan of infrared light. This concept of photobiomodulation can have an anti-inflammatory effect um, And, how often? and uh, how often would you use the infrared light? Yeah So so infrared light it depends if it's on the head or the neck or the face area The general rule is anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes Spaced by 48 hours. So there's devices like the the V light for example V uh, V I E light and that one is like a head-worn device that triggers the mitochondria in the neural tissue to produce more ATP. Mm-hmm. But the neural tissue is a little bit more sensitive to red light, near infrared light, far infrared light. So these are these are spaced a little bit farther apart. It's a fantastic device, though, for anybody who kind of wants like a, a cup of coffee for their for their brain in the morning. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 full-body red light treatments. Gold standard is 10 to 20 minutes, as long as the device is sufficiently powerful, usually about six inches from the, from the bulbs that you're shining on your body. So 10 to 20 minutes uh, every day. Once you, once you exceed that, the reason you want to exceed that is you can actually get excess production of reactive oxygen species. You know, back to the concept of some inflammation being good, too much not. Right. And so too much red light therapy in the same way that too much sunlight can cause burning or radiative damage to the skin. Is something that you'd want to avoid. But 10 to 20 minutes every single day, you can, do, you can do red light. What about intracellularly, if you got too much of that? Intracellularly, too much red light? Yeah. Uh, you mean from, from like a tissue heating type of DNA damage standpoint?
0: Yeah. like. If, I,
1: I don't mm-hmm. think the tissue's heated enough in red light for that to occur. Okay. You'd have to get to a, to a, a pretty... A uh, hefty form of radiation, like a microwave radiation, or possibly like you know an ultrasound, to cause tissue damage. I don't think red light is is of a strong enough intensity to cause that.
0: Okay, is there any particular supplementation which you reckon will be good to reduce inflammation?
1: Well, a lot of these these supplements that are anti-inflammatory, they do include like the turmeric or curcuminoids that I talked about earlier. There's also an extract of turmeric that's water-soluble called tumorosaccharides. That can be very, very effective uh, and and even uh, easier on the stomach than straight-up turmeric for inflammation. Uh, And then in addition to that, uh, uh, high EPA, DHA fish oil, that can be a good good practice. A lot of the research for heart health says 1 to 2 grams. A lot of the athletes who I work with, or people who um, you know, I'm looking at, I want to help with inflammation, is closer to four to eight grams of fish oil. It's not mm-hmm. super duper high dose, but you know, two to three times the normal recommended dose of fish oil. Uh, and then uh, one that, that flies under the radar that I think is really effective is proteolytic enzymes. You know, serapeptase, trypsin, chymotrypsin, um, papain, bromelain. A lot of these enzymes that would normally be considered Enzymes that you might take to digest food. They can also help to digest uh, uh, proteins in the body. They can help to quell inflammation, and those can also be really useful. And then, um, you know, one of the things that's that's been highly not recommended for athletes post-training is high doses of vitamin C and high doses of vitamin E, because they're some of the most potent anti-inflammatory compounds that you can consume. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, doing something like a regularly scheduled vitamin C IV, getting adequate vitamin E. That's got a good, vitamin E, is, it's important that you get a mix of tocopherols and tocotrienols. And, and a lot of vitamin E products, they just have the, the, the mixed tocopherols. Uh, there's companies like uh, Designs for Health, for example. I interviewed a vitamin E researcher from their organization named Dr. Barry Tan. And we got into this idea of certain natural compounds like uh, the annatto plant, for example, being very, very high in these mixes of tocopherols and tocotrienols when it comes to, to vitamin E. So those are some of the things to think about when it comes to supplementation. Would you say you're
0: religious or yeah. uh, spiritual or both?
1: Oh, yeah, b- both, 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 both. Right. both. Yeah. What, so what got you into, I don't know, this journey of God? I was born into a Christian family. My, my parents became Christians when they were adults, and they raised us children as, uh, as Christians. I really think that it wasn't until I was around 30, though, where I really understood what it meant to be able to dialogue with God, where I really understood how to just be silent and listen to the voice of God. To direct your thoughts and direct your actions. You know, it wasn't until later in life that I discovered the importance of the spiritual disciplines like meditation and silence and solitude and fasting and prayer and, and worship and, and even you know things like breath work, for example, that you can use to, to kind of enhance a spiritual experience. And it 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 really took a long time for me to go from being like the Christian, like, yeah, I go to Sunday school and I believe in God and I sing the nice songs and Jesus loves me, you know, game over. <laughs> and to become a person who feels as though like I can be in daily dialogue with God. I can cast all my, my burdens on, on a higher power. I can believe in in the hope that there's a greater story written for my life and all I need to do is wake up each day and do the very best job I can with whatever God has put upon my plate for the day. It's, it's you know, been been a, a daily process of growing closer to God and understanding what it truly means to to walk with God, uh, understand that, you know, because a lot of like Christians, for example, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, so I don't go to hell, or, I'm afraid of going to hell. Well, that honestly is, is not enough <coughs> motivation to keep you on the straight and narrow path, making the right choices, obeying God's law, etc. What it instead comes down to is a deep, deep love for your creator and a love for your ability to be able to wake up, work hard, and then just like savor all of God's blessings at the end of the day. And so when your heart is full of love, not just love for God, but love for all of your fellow human beings, Every last cell in your body, all it craves to do is obey God's law, like follow the golden rules, follow the Ten Commandments, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, you know, all these things that normally if you're just not doing that stuff because like, I don't want to go to hell, like that's that really doesn't enable you or equip you or empower you to be able to to really be be the type of person that God has called you to be. Instead it's, oh my gosh, I love God so much. I love my creator so much. I am waking up every day so grateful for this breath of air that I get to take and the next breath and the next breath and the food that I don't deserve but, but I've got it anyways and a job and money. and, and so when your heart is just full of gratefulness for what you've gotten even though you didn't deserve it and your heart is full of love for the the creator that generated your very existence then all you want to do all day is basically be that person who ideally is impactful and helping out a lot of other people in the world because you're following God's law and really the the entire you know the entire uh, uh, Bible comes down to like two two things love God and love other people right and so if you love God and love other people every day then you know life becomes very very magical in my opinion by the way do you know what this is so this is nettle these seeds these seeds, these nettle seeds. My apologies to anybody listening to the audio; they can't see it. But these nettle seeds, they sell for a bunch of money, you know, in, in stores as a testosterone-enhancing supplement. Really? And nettle is just the highest protein, highest nutrient-density plant you can find. Like you could literally pick this stuff, and you could survive as if, as if you were eating meat for a relatively long period of time, just on nettle. It's it's an incredible plant. Oh wow! Yeah, we do a lot of plant foraging at our house, and I like to look at all the all the indigenous plants when I'm walking around a new place. <laughs> That's awesome that's awesome would you um, <clears throat> do you reckon that um, all religions can lead to this, a similar thing <clears throat> like well um, yeah finding God <clears throat> all, all religions can lead to to finding God the question is who that God is and uh, mm. whether the basis of that religion is founded upon you being able to do all the work to be a good person versus you saying I can't do this on my own. I'm a fallen human being. I need the help of my Creator to be able to be who it is that the Creator has called me to be. And so, when you ask that question and, and you step back and you look at you know for example a lot of the a lot of the uh, um, you know the the Abrahamic religions right like like Islam or mm. or Christianity yeah they they certainly have the belief in one God the difference. With those religions is, of course, the the presence or absence of the Jesus component, right? So this idea that, oh, a deity came down from heaven, became an actual creature, sacrificed himself so that we would be able to be saved because there's no way we can be saved on our own. You know, whereas Buddhism might say, well, there's a fourfold path to enlightenment and all you need to do is identify your attachments in life, release those attachments, and... Then eventually, you know, be reincarnated and, and become better and better and better and better with each new life cycle that you might go through. And I realize it's a little bit of a bastardization, quick explanation of Buddhism. But <laughs> yeah, the yeah. idea is, yeah, that's that's you doing it and it's your power and you're eventually becoming God rather than just like casting all your cares on God and accepting that there, there's there's no way you can do it without being, you know, as Christianity says, like, washed by the blood of, of Jesus. So I think that there are many paths to living a good life, and, and many religions lead to that path of good life. I think that the only way to eternal life, to eternal life, to actually being in heaven and existing for all eternity with God, which I think is, is just a wonderful existence, I think the only way to that is actually through Jesus Christ. And so, right, right. so it depends, you know, if, if you're asking, can you be a good person? You know, without necessarily being a Christian, yeah, you can. Can you gain eternal life? I actually don't think you can, Be- mm. just because you know, as a as a guy who who goes to the handbook for my particular religion, the Bible, all I know is it says the only way to heaven is through Jesus, and so I can't say that I believe little bits of the Bible, but I don't believe other little bits. I just have to believe the whole thing's inspired by God. That's really interesting, because you have you do have a lot of people that are trying to do
0: great things you know like uh, i don't know humanitarianism or whatever
1: um different spiritual practices but right might not necessarily yeah but they're not christians yeah and right. <laughs> exactly and, and at the same time like a lot of christians look at the crusades look at the you know the 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 sexual abuse in the catholic church look at you know there's 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 a lot of failures of of many religions and christianity certainly is not an exception um the 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 idea of having some type of law, some type of moral order, some type of absolute morality is where you see a lot of benefits of many of these religions that have playbooks or guidebooks or rule books. Because I just, you know, I I think about the worst thing is to say, hey, you, you believe what you want to believe, bro. Speak your truth, which is very common these days. You don't want to offend people. We don't want to rub them the wrong way, but... The problem with that approach is that if everybody speaks their truth, if everybody believes in what it is that they want to believe in, well, I might say, you know, Roger, right now what would really make me most happy is to, like, you know, grab you you and hold a knife to your head and, like, shove your face in that pond and try to drown you. And you'd be like, no, 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 that doesn't make me happy. And we'd stand there trying to figure out whose morals are absolutely correct. And certainly we have certain things that that bring disgust up or or that that we might think oh i would never like you know stomp on a baby's head or whatever but then if you actually look at at human beings left to their own volition and uh, human beings who kind of make whatever decisions that they think are right in the moment well i mean look at nazi germany right i mean like, like when left to their own volition, human beings are capable of not making the right choices in the absence of some type of a god or playbook or handbook that dictates here. Here is exactly what is right. Here's exactly what is wrong. Like don't mm. lie. Don't kill people. You know, don't covet. Like, And so I, I think that that's a really, really important part of religion is it does provide you with a guidebook, you know, some, some sense of absolute morality in terms of what is right, what is wrong. Makes, <laughs> makes sense. I need to read the Bible more.
0: Yeah. I used to go to church, but, um, yeah, that's, a, that's another subject. Yeah. So <clears throat> talking of books, you read, I'm I'm assuming you read quite a lot of books. <laughs>
1: I do read a lot of books. I, well, so, um, I usually have a stack of books I'm working on. The, the upstairs bedroom is typically like nonfiction, uh fun books fiction books like right now it's, it's puzzler by aj jacobs right where it's just like a book about sudoku and crossword and and uh, and rubik's cubes and it's got little puzzles at the end of each chapter and it's great for putting you to sleep because your brain's <laughs> kind of like oh i can't do this anymore and then you just kind of <laughs> fall asleep so up in the bedroom it's all the fun books that kind of feel like a waste of time but that you're able to read when you're just laying there getting ready for bed and then uh i typically have um a handful of books that I'm going through for people I'm going to interview for a podcast. I never took a speed reading course. But, you know, I have a certain method of getting through the books. I scan the table of comments. I I scan the back of the book, the front of the book. I flip through to see how the chapters are structured. And mm. then I start in and I just basically trace with my finger. But And I've just taught myself, kind of like when you listen to a, an audio book at one and a half times speed. Then you get pretty good at <laughs> 1.8 and then 2. And eventually before you know it, you're absorbing information at 3x speed. Mm-hmm. right? And so, so... Reading is kind of like that. It's, it's a muscle. And so um, the other thing that I do is I'll listen to a lot of audiobooks. Again, you know, typically at like you know, two and a half, three times speed. I, I rarely listen to music when I'm working out. It's almost always audiobooks when I'm working out, unless it's just a gut wrenching difficult workout so yeah i'll I'll listen to audiobooks a lot i'm reading a book a lot i'll use the kindle whisper sync a lot where when i stop reading on the kindle you know say on the airplane as i'm walking through the airport i can continue listening where i left off and then when i get back on the next plane keep reading on the kindle and so um huge huge amount of book consumption only for me but for my family my sons know that basically if they ever ask for a book, there's not many things I'll just buy for them hands down, but if they ever want a book, I just I buy it for them. You know, I, I so assign them a book every week for which they need to write a book report. So I'm teaching them how to read a lot of books at an early age, how to, how to write something about that book and demonstrate that they've learned something from it. And I think that's also important is you know, whenever I'm reading a book, I take all the notes and at the very, very end, whether it's a Kindle book with the highlights or mm. whether it's a regular book where I've circled stuff, folded over pages, etc., I, I do one last review of the whole book, so that if there's any major takeaways, steps of action, like oh, I actually need to set up an appointment with this person I read about in the book, or this is a product that I actually want to buy and try, then by the time I've made it through the book, I'll then review and take any action steps that I've highlighted that I need to take in the book. And then there's 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 one other interesting thing. There's a there's there's a lot of these these services that will give you book summaries, and I love them. You know, like Blinkist yeah. or thinker or philosopher's notes. I use a lot of those services because there's certain books that I am interested in but not so interested in that I want to read <laughs> the whole thing, so I'll do the quick 20-minute PDF or audio digestion of the book, but the, uh, the, the interesting one is called ReadWise, and ReadWise will sync with all your Kindle highlights and then send you an email each week or each day with a few of your highlights from the Kindle books that you've read recently or that have been your favorites. And so it kind of allows you to revisit the books and automates the process of you being reminded of important things that you found in the books. That's so awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's a cool little app. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What's that Blink thing? Uh, So the the ones that I use, I would say that the top ones that I use for, for book summaries would be Philosopher's Notes, run by a guy named Brian Johnson. That's got about 500 books on it. Really good short PDF summary and audio summary of each book. Mm. Um, Thinker, which is an app, those books tend to be largely kind of like more political and a lot of times more conservative and libertarian-leaning books. Uh, It's kind of like like my political-leaning anyways, and so I like Thinker for some of my political and economics-based book summaries. Then um, a, a couple others are Blinkist, which does really, really great book summaries. There's mm. two people who I follow online, one guy named Derek Sivers and one guy named James Clear. And both Derek and James do really, really good book summaries on their websites, which again helps me decide if I am or I'm not going to, to read a book. And uh, mm. so th- those are a few of like the book digest, book summary type of resources that I use. That's awesome. What would you say are your five Five top
0: books that you'd recommend on subjects like uh, mental agility, emotional, emotional oh. intelligence, yeah. Um, yeah. finance, Oh gosh, spirituality, just okay. like, you know, diversity yeah. of books. I
1: think, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of bookshelves in, in my home and those bookshelves are all labeled. I actually had a librarian come through and, you know, they, they have spirituality, health, fitness, anatomy, you know, science, religion, et cetera, and then they're all organized by authors, wow. last names. So, you know, I literally have hundreds and hundreds of books, probably thousands at this point in my personal library, <laughs> and I don't even know how many on Kindle. But the, uh, the one shelf in my office is books I want to return to, like books I want to read again. You know, and inevitably, you know, one or two extra books gets added to that shelf each year. But there's probably about oh, 30 books on that shelf, and a few ones of note that I think are super beneficial. Um, Charlie Munger's Poor Charlie's Almanac. For understanding human cognitive biases and mental models for understanding why humans might attribute a greater degree of credibility to someone in a position of authority than is really the case in terms of the existence of that credibility or why certain human beings will assume themselves to be far more efficient or proficient or intelligent around any given activity uh, than they actually are or you know the the Reason that humans will see uh, you know, uh, price anchoring, such as something very expensive anchored next to something very cheap, and all of a sudden it will make the, the less expensive things seem even less expensive. You know just all these little <laughs> mental models and cognitive biases. So poor Charlie's Almanac, fantastic for understanding people. Um, there's another one uh, that I would say comes to mind: Stillness is the key by Ryan Holiday for having a more, more stoic and a more peaceful existence and, and peaceful approach to life. Um, you know, I, I really like some of Ryan Holiday's work, he's, he's probably better known for books like Obstacles of the Way, but Stillness is the Key, I think is, is one of his best works for introducing more peace and stillness in the one's life. Um, I think that uh, uh, a, a couple other good ones uh, in, in some of the sectors you talked about, Ray Dalio's Principles as a business-based book. Um, both his book, Principles, and then a, a similar book called uh, Rocket Fuel, which allows a CEO like me to, to better interact with members of my organization and, and understand how to, how to implement my vision. I would say both Rocket Fuel and Principles have been really, really good in the, mm-hmm. in the business side of things. I would say for financial, there's a book called What Would the Rockefellers Do? And that's an amazing book because, you know, for, I'm, I'm a big believer in legacy, right? I'm not raising my children. I'm raising my children's children and my children's children's children. And we have a Greenfield Family Playbook and Greenfield Family Values and a Greenfield Family Crest and you know a logo and family T-shirts and hats and hoodies and this, this deep, deep sense of belonging and pride and legacy in terms of what it means to be a Greenfield. But as a part of that, we also have a family trust. We have a family constitution. We have a family bank in place. So, so uh, generational wealth is distributed in the proper way amongst, you know, subsequent generations and and again it's like a guidebook for the family and all of this are habits that you know you think of like great families i'm just going to use us examples, you know, but if you look at like i don't know the the bush family or the rockefeller family or the clinton family, you know, a lot of these families like how did that family become like so great, so powerful, so wealthy, uh, so impactful? Well, in many cases this is how they set up their families, a real real legacy-based approach to to building a family. And so, so that's another one and then i would say if i could name one more. Um, I think that, uh, you know, one of the early nutrition books that I read that I think really helped me wrap my head around something we talked about earlier, the dangers of seed oils, uh, the, the subtle nuances between fats, the importance of fat, and just generally gave me a real, real good nutritional philosophy. It was early on in my nutrition studies, but it made a real, real impact on me was Deep Nutrition by Kate Shanahan. Um, really, really good kind of ancestrally based mm-hmm. nutrition book. So I'd say Deep Nutrition and that was my problem. When I, when I wrote my book, Boundless, like if you read that book carefully, you wind up buying like 30 other books because I read so much. And I say throughout the book, like, oh, well, go read this book. Go read this book. Oh, this book talks more about this. This book talks. So I consider one of my jobs to be just like reading books and then based on what I've read, telling other people what they should read. I got Boundless and
0: I just I got lost at the same time. I felt like I was going to fall in
1: depression. <laughs> I was like, this book is deep. That's one that you need a book summary for. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm working on another one right now called Boundless Parenting, where I'm, I'm interviewing all these amazing parents from around the world and getting all their advice on parenting and legacy and family and some of the concepts we were just talking about, and all the way down to kids' nutrition and fitness to building legacy. And right now, you know, because for me, it's usually about a three-year process to write a book. So that one's at about 1,400 pages right now of material, and eventually, you know, when I get all the information, it'll be close to 2,000 pages, then I cut all that down, I edit it, I decide which babies I'm going to kiss goodbye to and, <laughs> and eventually, you know, put it into a book. But I do like to write big, comprehensive books when I can, much oh. to the chagrin of my publisher.
0: I love the idea of the kids one. I, I did get one by uh, Robert T. Kiyosaki, although uh-huh. he does one on, you know, he does yeah. it on finances. Yeah, and different... Rich
1: Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, yeah. correct.
0: Yeah. Um, he also has one for children, so... Yeah. I think like, if you can if people do more for children I think that would it would just start off the world in a better place that's you know? that's
1: the foundation of everything by by the way Rich Dad Poor Dad also has the cash flow game which is a great we play a lot of board games with big family dinners each night and, and a lot of the games that I'll choose are games that I want to use to teach my kids important life principles like there's a fold-out game called rhetoric where you learn how to give impromptu speeches or persuade people or there's you know games like uh boggle or scrabble that teach a child you know how to how to spell and how to how to build up their vocabulary or you know there's there's other games like exploding kittens or unstable unicorns that teach kids logic and, and if this then that type of sequential thinking and so we're a big fan of games. With that, that cash flow game is one that's fantastic for, for finances. You know that and, and playing Monopoly and intentionally and mindfully and understanding what, what it means to mortgage and what it means to be in debt and what it means to have assets. You know, Big fan of that stuff. But the, mm. uh, the, the question about um, uh, the, the children, you know, not only is, is the, way that we, the, the way that we affect change in society always starts from the ground up right? It always starts with the kids. And so if you've got a bunch of kids, you know, such as, I don't know, in the case of of America's educational system, you know, lining up in a row, putting a square peg in a square hole, a round peg in a round hole, learning at the same pace as the rest of the classroom, getting exposed to peer pressure and bullying, eventually being taught things, you know, about like being ashamed of your your skin color or or hating the country that you live in because of certain things that's done. You, You have kids that grow up, in my opinion, just basically, really wired up the wrong way you know they're not like at least in america i'm noticing the upcoming generation they're not like creative free thinking resilient like people with with patriotic pride and and pride about who they are and their own identity whether whether socially or racially or politically you know kids are just basically they they're not marching to the beat of their own drum they're instead just swallowing hook line and sinker what they're taught in a modern education system. And then you, you look at kids who are like homeschooled or unschooled and they're engaging a lot of creative free thinking and problem solving and experiential based learning and hands on education. And I'm just more impressed with that group of kids, you know, painting with a broad brush from the, mm. from the children that I've hung around with. And so as parents, we must realize that if we're going to complain about the way that society is going, or we're going to complain about politics, or we're going to complain about the way things are, we have to think very long term. We have to think, okay, how do I change this? Yeah, I can go and, and vote. I can go and lobby. I can go and protest. I can, I can go and affect change socially. But the number one thing you can do is train the next generation not to make the same mistakes that you made. Train the next generation to be better people. Train the next generations to be sub- subsequently better and better and better. And, you know, for me personally, I've realized that no matter what I do from a business standpoint, no matter what cool places I go to and travel or the amazing people I get to talk to or money that's made or anything like that, I, it's very, very hard for me to be happy unless everything is just amazing at home. I pour a lot of energy into making sure my wife and I are always on the same page and there's radical transparency and radical honesty and I eye gaze with my sons and spend, you know, both, both you know, time, time with them one-on-one and then also Together we have big family dinners like I, I pour a ton of energy into making sure I have a really strong Stable happy nuclear family unit because mm-hmm. everything else in life very similar to the idea of how loving God and loving others Does this becomes a lot more magical when you realize the importance of family as a foundation and the the great Responsibility and the honor that comes with raising up the next generation to not make the same mistakes That's powerful So That is Amazing! I love that. I love that.
0: Um, yeah, it, it, you know, sometimes I do question why relationships break break so soon. You got people who have a pattern of relationship break. that like their relationship lasts for like a year or two years, and I'm oh, thinking,
1: yeah. Well, I can tell you why why that primarily is. I mean, it, it started to be an issue when when uh, humans began like serial dating, right? Like I'm going to date this person, I'm going to dump him if I don't like him, I'm going to try this person on for size, maybe see what it's like to have sex with that person, see what it's like to have sex with this person. And so what happens is that conditions you to almost have an unfamiliarity with what it means to be happy and stable with one person just because you spend your entire teenage years engaging in this serial dating type of uh, t- type of existence. Whereas, you know, in, in, a, I think a more appropriate, we can turn on the other way, in a more appropriate, um, scenario, basically, you know, you, you'd see like, like a man would, would, would court a woman for a long period of time and be with her family and get to know her sometimes for years and eventually marry. And, and maybe they hadn't had 20 or 30 partners before they got married. You know, my, my wife had no partners before we got married. I had had maybe, maybe five or six girlfriends. Uh, but then you introduce Tinder and swiping and online dating apps and the ability to be able to move, move, move through people and, and swipe, swipe, swipe through multiple people. And then pornography where you can engage in a sexual relationship with sometimes up to you know 100 women within 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. we create a scenario in which human beings are kind of conditioned to be in serial relationships, polygamous relationships, polyamorous relationships, versus embracing the stability and happiness and societal order that can be derived from from monogamy from being happy with one person from learning how to love someone no matter what learning how to sacrifice yourself for someone no matter what understanding that a relationship is not just about how good the sex is with that person but how good the friendship and love and relationship and spiritual sacred connection to that person is and once you start to look at your fellow human beings back to you know loving god and loving other people fully as sacred souls it's very very difficult to like you know for for a guy to to go to a bar You know get drunk pick up a girl who's also drunk go home you know sleep with her and and then just like say goodbye the next day because it basically objectifies a person as a carnal fleshly object that's purely there for pleasuring Mm -hmm. versus a person who's a sacred soul who you're going to go on to live with for all of eternity how would you treat that person if you actually knew that was going to be the case and how would you act differently around people if you really did recognize them as sacred souls that you will live with for eternity
0: Wow, oh, they're super powerful. You know, that, that made me think about um, a post i done one time and I asked people, what's your thoughts on unconditional love? Is there anyone that you love unconditionally? And then when, when I started to think about it myself, I thought there seems to be a, a lot of conditions on why we love people. And it made me question, does yeah. anyone love anyone uncondition- yeah. unconditionally? I mean, you mentioned about Jesus and is the only person I know who actually does it's it's impossible.
1: Yeah, it's impossible unless you're perfect to love anyone unconditionally. And that's kind of back to what I was explaining before. If you try to love someone unconditionally, you can't do it of your own power. You're you're just a, a fallen human being a broken human being. It's impossible to truly purely love someone unconditionally in the same way that's impossible to go through your entire life without missing the mark without sinning in some way. But when you rely upon the grace of God and you say, I can't do this, but you're on your knees every morning praying, hey, Jesus, give me the power to, you know, and that's part, like I say, a prayer in the morning when I'm swimming in my pool. I say, Mm -hmm. our Father who art in heaven, uh, please turn me into the father and husband who you would have for me to be, into a man who will fulfill your great commission and remove from me all judgments of others. Grant me your heavenly wisdom, remove from me my worldly temptations, Teach me how to listen to your spill small voice in the silence and fill me with your peace, your love, and your joy. Amen. So I say that prayer every morning, but a part of it is remove from me all judgments of others. Because I tend to be a judgmental person. Especially coming from a fitness background. I'm fitter than you. I look better than you with my shirt off. Where right? I can play better sports than you. I could kick your butt, you know, if we were if we were in some kind of a foot race. And so, you know, you you tend to start to size up people, you know, especially when you're in fitness and you're in health and oh look at that person, they're eating Cheetos, it's no good. You know they don't even know. They're stupid. But once you once once you're on your knees every day asking for help to be able to love people no matter what it does become a lot easier. You're never going to be able to do it fully unconditionally until, Mm -hmm. I mean, man, once once you die and you go to heaven and you're perfect, I'm sure. But, but yeah, it it should be a goal, and it should be something that you actually beg God to give you the ability to do each day because, obviously, if you're going to live your life by the mantra of loving God and loving others, then you should be loving God unconditionally, right? Mm -hmm. Whether rain or sunshine, whether your house burns down or you lose your partner or what, and you should be loving people unconditionally, whether they treat you shitty or whether you, you know, they're not the same type of person as you with the same political beliefs or you know, the same tendencies, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you love people unconditionally, but you're right. It's very difficult to actually pull that off.
0: Mm. How did you come up with Keon? Like where, where did the vision start to where it is right now?
1: So Keon, <laughs> it was kind of funny because I I actually I don't know if I've told this story before in a podcast, I may have, but there was one year in Kauai that I kind of took a a heroic dose of of psilocybin on the beach and uh, I was with some other people and they were all just kind of they were talking with each other and laughing and joking and I was like this is not the context I want to be in so I wandered down the beach and just spent like four hours sitting on a log and I, I was thinking and I was journaling and I was writing and I was just looking at the sky and kind of in deep introspection and in a state that's sometimes more difficult to get into without the help of some type of plant that shifts your ego in a different direction. Yeah. You know, and I I don't think you should use plant medicines as like an oracle, you know, and, and, and say like, oh the only way I'm gonna know what God is telling me is to take a bunch of magic mushrooms. But no to instead to just kind of shift your thinking in a different way. The same way you might have a cup of coffee before you go do some deep work in, in writing. Mm. And so, you know, I, I I got to thinking while I was while I was there about how I'd really been craving to create something that was bigger than just me, to create something that could help people, whether or not they knew who Ben Greenfield was or whether they read my books or anything like that. Like I wanted, I wanted to create something. You know, I think that God as a creator made us in his image and we human beings, we we crave to create something, whether it's a story or a piece of art or an invention, or maybe Elon Musk, it's a tunnel under LA or a Tesla, or you know, (laughs) in my case, it was like it was like I want to create something like nourishing and healthy and some type of a supplement. And so uh, at the time, I had been uh, I'd been partnering with a lot of different supplement companies as like an affiliate, you know, mm-hmm. representing their product. I was an athlete; I was racing all over the world, and and you know, kind of kind of pimping other people's products, so to speak. <laughs> and I decided, you know, I'm just going to make make my own stuff. I'm going to make my own stuff. And so, um, you know, met up with a, with a wonderful friend and the CEO of Keon now, my co-founder Angelo Keeley. Uh, he's a f- fantastic guy, and, and we just get along so well. And uh, we just decided we wanted to start a company where every single ingredient was sourced as high quality as possible. Even if that meant that you know we had limited supply of some of the stuff that we wanted to produce. Nothing, nothing in any product that doesn't have human clinical research behind it in terms of efficacy and the exact amounts necessary. No fairy dusting, no proprietary formulas. I mean, we wanted to target the things people really need. We didn't want some fringe, like, I don't know, intra-workout booster. We wanted, like, immune system, gut. Recovery, sleep, you know, and, and then of course we do like a bar, we do a coffee. But, you know, my, what I love about that company is I can, you know, I'm always reading the books, talking to the people, finding interesting people, learning about new ingredients. And then I get to sit down and say, okay, this would be cool to actually put together in a product. And Angelo and I will have these phone calls where we're spitting back and forth in ingredients and setting stuff up. And, you know, we just launched a new sleep product that, you know, most of this stuff is for me to scratch my own itch. Like, I struggle with sleep. And the Key on Sleep just all of a sudden just crushed sleep for me, you know. Or I really wanted a clean energy bar that didn't freeze when I was in the mountains or melt when I was on a bike ride. So I developed the Key on Clean Energy Bar. I love coffee, but I want a really clean coffee. So we have like this, you know, organic uh, decaf and regular coffee. It's, it's, it's fantastic tasting coffee, like a healthy coffee that tastes good. And So, so yeah, it's just... Uh, it's just been a progression over the years, but it started with me literally like being on the beach and thinking, gosh, I need to do something that's not just about me.
0: Right, right. That's phenomenal. I mean, I use all the Kiehl's products myself. I noticed that the serum, the, the skin serum has been removed. Oh,
1: yeah. The skin serum, uh, that's actually something that is now... Uh, 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 run under the name Greenfield Botanics. It's my aunt's company. Ooh. So we we just decided to shift the serum production over to her So yeah, you can still get it from Greenfield Botanics, but it's not not under Keon anymore So she does like a serum and a, and a facial spray as well now. They're oh, fantastic. that's awesome. Yeah, I'll go check that out So what's the yeah.
0: future of Keon then you'd say?
1: Oh Keon, we're gonna to continue to develop A lot of cool new products, but what we're really looking at now are like functional foods. Like how can we do like a a gelatin-based bone broth good-tasting energy bar? Or how could we create something that gives you the nostalgic flavor of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You know, in (laughs) in some type of like a a smoothie or a powder. You know, we're continuing to refine our aminos, which is probably our top-selling supplements, like the Swiss Army Knife for recovery, for fasting, for muscle building, for sleep. The aminos are fantastic. Like one little scoop is like eating half a steak. And so, um, <laughs> so yeah, we're just continuing to develop and refine and also going after probably in the near future, some more kind of like comfort food-esque type of foods.
0: I like that. Yeah. I like that. I could ask a ton more questions, but, um,
1: <laughs> I think we covered a lot already, man. <laughs> we did. We, oh. we did go through a lot and, uh, gosh, we got, we got our step count in too, huh? Yeah. Uh, I don't normally walk this much,
0: to be honest with you. Oh when yeah. You gym, even even as
1: a bodybuilder, you can do a lot of like the aerobic cardio, like when you're cutting. Like that. Um, you mentioned kettlebells. I do some kettlebells
0: and battle yeah. rope and swing some power bags around. But actual steps itself, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it
1: doesn't really yeah. mount up. Yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't do a lot of walking around as bodybuilding, but I was a spin instructor. Right? Oh, right, so like three or four times a week, I was like hardcore on the bike, high intensity interval training, which is actually great for the quad development as well. Mm-hmm. So that was that was what I did with spinning. But, but yeah, so I've got a. Uh, I guess I got I gotta literally run back to my hotel from here and and get on an airplane and head back to the states. But that was pretty fun. Oh,
0: awesome, man! Now thank you very much. When are you next in the UK? Do you know?
1: Uh, I don't know. I had I made a lot of fantastic connections when I was here on this trip in all sorts of biohacking facilities like London Cryo and BellaCell and and H2MN and, and a lot of amazing people. You know Tim Gray, the guy who put on this Health Optimization Summit. He's just doing a really great job. So I think. Hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be here for next year's Health Optimization Summit, but mm, we'll mm. see from there. It's you know, it's it's not too long of a flight, but it's enough to have to have a really good excuse to come over. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've also been interviewed by Jag Chima. He's
1: yeah. Jag Chima. Yeah. Jag runs the uh, like the superhuman biohacking type of uh, centers. Yeah, 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 That's right. Good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah. He and Chris Gethin and I did a tour of India. Uh-huh. Where we, we did a bunch of biohacking workshops and stuff across India. So yeah he's a great guy too so yeah have you been to the superhuman uh not yet but i am gonna try and help Jag develop like some of his iv and cocktail like infusion menus for that so Mm. we're talking (laughs) we're talking so all right well let me see i should probably press press uh press off on the microphone (laughs) so i can pull up my locations and start jogging but uh Anything else you want to say while the mic's hot? I think I'm we'll good. Go All right. I think
0: I'm good. Thanks a lot, Ben. Right. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Definitely want to get a training session in next time you're here. That's we'll do sure. it.
1: I'll crush you, man. I'll crush you. We'll yeah. do we'll do arm day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Roger Snipe Show podcast. It is my goal to find incredible guests who have extraordinary stories or advice. Education is key. The more we learn, the more we can also teach. It's also about remaining curious and hungry for knowledge to progress. All sponsored ads and affiliations are from only reputable brands or companies which I have personally vetted and trust. Please take advantage of these codes and subscriptions to increase savings on all products. If you get a moment I would greatly appreciate a review as this helps to increase visibility and allows me to share with more amazing people just like you. Be phenomenal
1: and stay blessed.